Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. We're continuing our sermon series, Breaking Free. In fact, this is our last message in this series, and next week we're going to transition into our Christmas series. So far, we've looked at the need to break free from regret, our need to break free from resentment, our need to break free from stronghold. Now, this morning, we're going to look at our need to break free from discontentment. Um, what is discontentment? Think to yourself for a moment about that. Webster defines it as the condition of being dissatisfied with one's life or situation. Did you know that about $500 billion are spent every single year to make you and I discontent? Commercials are designed to make you and I discontented people. I turned my television on the other day, and I realized that I did not have the latest and greatest television, and so I need to get a new one. Ronnie McGuire is trying to help me with that. He constantly is trying to push Danny over the edge to help me get that. I learned that the shampoo I use is causing my hair to fall out, so I need to get Rogaine. I learned that my car is not self-driving, so I need to get a new one. I learned that the sheets on my bed are not made with Egyptian cotton, so I need to get me some new sheets. Think about the billions of dollars that are spent by politicians every single year. They're trying to convince you and me that our guy is bad and their guy, or that they're the, the, the good one, the right one, right? They say, vote for me, and I will do X, Y, Z. Well, what they're trying to convince us of is that, that we are discontented people because of the person that's in an elected office, and we know that that is not true. We know that if we don't have the latest and greatest of whatever it is, that does not mean that we need that, right? Here's what our message point this morning is this. It is this. The key to being content is to focus on the Lord in every situation. The key to our contentment is not you and I buying into the lies of this world, but you and I keeping our eyes fixed upon the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for our time of worship. Father, thank you, Father, for what you're going to do Father, even during the next few minutes as we are able to camp out in your word, Father. Lord, just help us as believers to learn to be content in every situation. Father, teach us this morning from your word. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So notice what we read together in our focal passage. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul wrote Philippians. But in Philippians chapter 4, beginning of verse 10, we read, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in every situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in, any, in every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and strength and, and, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. 
Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice our first point this morning. It is this. Paul accepted his situation. Paul would write this letter from a prison in Rome, and he, and he writes it in response to the generosity of the Philippines, of the church in Philippi. If you recall from last week, when we, when we um, walked through breaking free from strongholds, we found Paul and Titus in, 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 in a prison cell in Philippi, right? They were arrested, they were beaten, they were imprisoned, and the Lord, through miraculous means, allowed them to bust free from that prison. Paul had a great affinity for the people in Philippi. Notice um, our first subpoint, and it is this rejoice in God's provisions. In verse 10 again, we read, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. One commentator points out that it had been about 10 years since um, the, the Philippians had sent any financial support to Paul. One of the reasons that the book of Philippians, excuse me, I've been battling um, allergies for a while, so if I start coughing, I apologize. One of the reasons, though, that the book of Philippians exists is in response to their generosity. Have you ever received something at just the right time that, that you're just kind of blown away when, when, when you open up that letter or you see that gift or you see that check? Has that ever happened to you? Man, most of us, it has. I remember um, a couple of years ago, um, I was outside talking to my neighbor. And as we were talking, he was kind of, you know, I was walking with him and he was walking over to the mailbox and he pulled out his mail and he started kind of rummaging through his mail and he just stopped mid-sentence. He opened up a letter, he pulled it out and he goes, I got to go. I got to tell my wife, I just got some money that we were not expecting. So he ran into his house to tell his wife about what he had just received. Now, later on, he told me more about that gift that he got. He and his wife, they were going through Financial Peace University trying to get debt, th- debt free. And that money came at just the right time to help them as they pursued being debt free. You know, we've all been at that place where we have received that gift when we needed it most. And hopefully all of us in that moment were grateful and, 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 and excited and thankful for what we had received. Paul felt like that. He was beside himself because of the generosity of the Philippians. 16 different times in this letter, he uses some form of the word joy because he was so thankful. Let me ask you a question this morning. What do you rejoice in this morning? What is it that you are thankful for as we, um, as we enter into this Thanksgiving week? Think to yourself for just a moment, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to count to three. I want you to tell me what you are thankful for. You ready? One, two, three. Family. Yeah. Many different things were just thrown out there because we're thankful and grateful people. Next, we see um, that Paul was not always a man that 
knew what it meant to be content. So notice what we read in the next two verses. It's this. Our, our subpoint is contentment is a learned behavior. So in verses 11 and 12 we read, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. How many of you do contentment well? Raise your hand. If you do contentment well. None of us probably do contentment very well. If we're honest, most of us struggle with it. We are restless people living in a restless world. Like us, Paul was not always a content person. If you remember the very first time that we're introduced to Paul, his name at that time was Saul, and, and, and it was at the stoning of Stephen. Those that were responsible for stoning Stephen and hurling those stones at him that ultimately killed him took their, their tunics off and laid it at the feet of Saul, indicating that, that Paul was there and Paul gave approval of the stoning of Stephen. And, and Saul would not only go from, from being there at the stoning of Stephen, he would go and become one of the, 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 the greatest ravagers of the church. Man, he was out to destroy the church, wasn't he? He wanted to destroy Christianity. In fact, when, we're, when we see Paul next, he is on his way to Damascus. And he has one goal, and that is to arrest believers, to, to chain those believers and bring them back to Jerusalem. But Paul, on his way to Damascus, the Lord would get a hold of him, right? And the Lord would set him apart and call him unto a great work. And what we know about Paul is Paul would go from one of the greatest persecutors of the church to becoming one of the most attacked believers in the New Testament. Paul, Paul would go from being a very discontent man to learning the way of contentment. In verses 10 and 11, what we read is that, that on two separate occasions, Paul said that I learned to be content. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, Paul would also write these words to young Timothy. But godliness with, um, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we could take, can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we can be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Contentment does not come naturally. It is not something that you and I are born with. We are born selfish people, aren't we? Now, I remember when our kids were, were, were young before they could ever speak, like you, many of us taught our kids a couple of, of sign language. We taught them to say, I love you, and we also taught them more. Did you teach your kids more in sign language? What we did is we taught our kid how to be selfish. Is what, when they did this, they knew that they would get more Cheerios or more Fruit Loops. They would get more toys or more hugs or more kisses. Doing this meant they got more. So we taught them early on to be selfish people. We didn't teach them to be content at such a young age, did we? They loved it when they got exactly what they wanted. 
You and I have to learn to be content. It does not come naturally. The word contentment can be translated self-sufficient. This does not mean that Paul was a self-made man who was rich and prosperous. It means that Paul did not need the things of this world to make him happy. He had more than enough in Jesus. Can that be said of all of us in this room? That we have more than enough because we have Jesus. Paul did not need the latest and greatest tent to call his home. He did not need the latest and greatest donkey to call his own. He did not need the the latest and most fancy tunic to clothe himself in. Jesus was enough for him. When you think about all that you have, at what point is enough enough? At what point is our accumulation of, 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 of stuff enough? Is it when our garage is full? Is it when our attic is full? Is it when we have two or three um, storage units that aren't even connected to our houses? Is it when we have two cars or three cars or four cars? John D. Rockefeller was once asked, how much money does it take to satisfy a man? This is what he said back, a little bit more than he has. This came from the richest man in the world at the time. And some even say today that he's probably one of the richest men to ever live on this planet. He said a little bit more than he has. Paul at one time had it all. And now he is in jail with little to nothing. But even though he has nothing, what he does have, he is grateful for. I've said this before. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. It is wrong when that stuff has us. Paul from a prison cell makes it clear that he has learned contentment. As a man that has had plenty, he was content. And as a man that had nothing, he was content. How did he learn to be content? He valued Christ above all. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, we read, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He trusted in God above all. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Paul also would learn to face fear head on. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, He wrote, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Please know that being content is not natural, but it is something that you and I can learn to be. Some of you in this room are a lot more better, if that's the right way of saying this, at being content than I am. Paul learned to be content, but he also made it clear from whom the source of his contentment came. Our second point is this. All acknowledge the source of your strength. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 4, 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I think that this verse right here is probably one of the most out-of-context quoted scriptures that there is. Would you agree with that? I think all of us are are aware of that. Let me challenge all of us in this room to learn to quote Scripture in right context. You and I can make the Bible say whatever we want the Bible to say. And we we can make God's Word justify any of our actions if we take it out of context. 
Think about this verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Where have you seen that verse before outside of God's word? You've seen it um, as athletes have worn that black um, tape underneath their eyes. It'll have P-H-I-L, period, 413. We've seen it on shirts. We've seen it at sporting events, just like you've seen John 316 held up. You see Philippians 413 held up by fans in the stands. People even have it tattooed on their body. Some of you may have Philippians 413 tattooed on your body. Don't show us if you do. I will be the first person to tell you that I have taken this passage out of context myself. I will never forget the first time that I was ever introduced to Philippians 413. I was a senior in high school. And, and um, one of um, my good friends at the time, a guy that I went to church with, showed up at practice one day, and he was wearing a white um, um, wristband, and on it he had Philippians 4.16. And so I asked him, I said, man, what's that, what's that um, mean? And, and he quoted Philippians um, 4.13 to me, I can do all things through Christ. I thought, man, that's a cool verse. So I went home that night, and I pulled out my Bible, and I go to Philippians 4.16 and realized, no, Philippians 4.16 isn't right. So I read, read around, and I came to Philippians 4.13, and I was inspired by that verse. Um, in fact, I was so inspired by that verse, by the, no, the, the knowledge of knowing that, that I could do all things through Christ, that I would have my one, not my one and only, but my best Babe Ruth moment ever as a high school baseball player. I remember the very first time um, that we had our first scrimmage, which was a couple of days after um, I learned this verse. I remember coming to the plate, and, and this is true, okay? I've shared this story with you before, um, some of you but, but this is exactly how that went down. I'm not embezzling this. I'm not, you know, just trying to make this sound good because I'm your pastor and that's what pastors are supposed to do. But I come to that plate and I, and I, I step up and, and I remember that pitcher releasing that ball. And as he's releasing that ball, I begin quoting Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. And I swung that bat. I hit that ball and that ball went out of that park. That was the very first home run I'd ever hit out of the park, okay? And I remember rounding those bases, and I thought, man, I have the the ingredients to success. Philippians 4.13, I was quoting that verse more. And I remember the next time I came up to bat, I thought I was going to bat 1,000, and I was going to hit like 100 home runs my senior year. I come up to bat, I begin quoting that verse, strike one. Strike two, strike three. I learned that day that just because I quote a scripture about strength doesn't mean that I'm going to hit a home run every time that I come to bat. This scripture does not mean that you are going to hit that home run. It doesn't mean that you're going to blow past the defenders as you're on the football field. It does not mean that you and I are going to be able to lift a million pounds when we want to lift a million pounds or that we're going to have the strength of Samson. It means that God will give us the strength we need to overcome our current situations. It means that you and I are going to be able to overcome the, 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 the schemes of the devil. When he throws those fiery darts our way, it means that we can overcome those because we are believers in Jesus Christ. You and I, we live 
in an I can't world, don't we? I can't get along with my spouse, so I'm going to divorce them. I can't get along with my boss, so I'm going to stop working for him. I can't get along with my parents, so I'm just going to be rude and mean to them. I can't break this particular sin habit, so I'm just going to give into it. I can't get along with the hypocrites at church, so I'm going to go off and find another church. Let's stop being I can't Christians and become I can Christians. What would happen if we replaced can't with can? I can get along with my spouse. I can get along with my boss. I can get along with my parents. I can break that sin habit. I can get along with other believers. Where does your strength come from, my friends? For Paul, he learned to be content in every situation. When he was brought low, Christ was enough. When he was hungry, Christ was enough. When he was broken because of that beating that he sustained, Christ was enough. When he needed financial assistance, Christ would be enough in those moments. Let's stop being I can't Christians and become Christians that recognize we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Let's close this morning with our, our, our final subpoint. Our final point is this. Be satisfied with what you have. Once we learn to be content with what we have, it will be much easier to let go of the resources that we have received. Has there ever been a time when you expected a gift from someone and they didn't come through? Has that ever happened to you? Man, you, you expected a gift, whether it was a financial gift or a gift under a Christmas tree or a birthday gift or a Christmas bonus or whatever the case might have been, and it didn't come through. Well, I'm a Christmas baby. Okay, my birthday's December the 28th, um, and there would be multiple times when under the Christmas tree at my grandparents' house, there, we would all get like three gifts, okay? Two gifts um, um, for me would always say, Merry Christmas. One gift would say, Happy Birthday. My brothers and my cousins would get three Christmas gifts that said, Merry Christmas. I was a little bitter by that. I want you to know. Um, when I was, on my 12th birthday, we moved um, to Wiley. We moved into our new house. My parents forgot my birthday. I would like to say I've gotten over that, but I haven't. I'm still bitter by that. You know, I, I am a selfish person sometimes, as we all are. Paul, he would commend the church at Philippi for their generosity. Even though it had been about 10 years since they had had, had come through and supported him financially. He was so grateful for them. In fact, he was so grateful that he literally wrote this book to that church to tell them how much he appreciated them. A content Christian wants to share their blessings with others. Let's look briefly at Paul's gratitude. Notice when we give, we further the spread of the gospel. In Philippians 4, 14 through 15, we read, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
I don't know about you, but my goal is to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. I hope that's your goal too. I hope that's what you hope for as you leave this place on Sunday morning and even as you come into the, this place Sunday morning, that your prayer is that people will get saved. If I can use the resources God has given me to help another person come to faith in Jesus Christ, whether that's here at, in this church, outside this doors, or around this world, that's what I want to do. When we give, we help supply the needs of others. In verse 16, Paul wrote, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. The church did not just bless Paul once, but on other occasions as well. We give out of our abundance, not just once, but as often as we can. When we give, we are making an, an, an eternal investment. And verse 17 we read, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. When we give specifically to the work of Christ, we can know that that gift increases in value. Isn't that good news? When we give, um, it increases in value because our gifts help the advancement of the gospel. What I love about all these um, shoe boxes up here is that every single one of these shoe boxes will be delivered to a child somewhere around this world. And with those gifts, come the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That simple shoebox will potentially return a, an, an investment that is invaluable. And that's what the gospel is. When a person gets the gospel, you can't put a value on a person's soul because it is in e eternally sealed by Jesus Christ. That name is written when they come to faith in Jesus in the Lamb's book of life. It increases in value. When we give, we can know that our gift is an act of worship. In verse 18, we read, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Aphrodite the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Before COVID, if you remember back in the good old days, we used to pass the offering plate. Remember that? We'd go up and down the aisle, and, and we'd pass the offering plate. I heard of some churches that they would pass it twice if they didn't get enough money. Um, but, but nowadays, um, we, we don't pass the, the offering plate. Um, you can give online, or you can place your offering in, in the plates as you leave or come into this place. Here's the deal. Regardless of how we give, when we give unto the Lord and to the work of the Lord, then we, it is an extension of our worship, right? The church at Philippi gave to Paul, and Paul was grateful for them. And we see here how it was, he said, it's a fragrant offering. And he was grateful for it. He worshiped the Lord in the midst of that gift. When we give, give God promises to meet our needs. In verse 19, we read, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will not supply some of our needs, but all of our needs. Needs is key here, right? Not wants. I want a lot, but I need, I don't need everything I want. Would you agree with that? Most of us want a lot, 
okay? But we don't need everything that we want. The Lord is going to supply our needs when we have faith in him. When we give, God is glorified. In verse 20, we see the closing verse of this great book. To God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. When you and I invest our time and our talents and our treasures into that which is eternal, God is glorified. Once we learn to be content with what we have, it will be much easier to let go of the resources that we have received. What do you need to let go of this morning? What is it that you are still chained to this morning that you need to break free from? Where do you find your discontentment? And what is it going to take to go from being discontent to being content? We know the answer to that, right? It's us focusing in on the Lord and having faith in the Lord. You know, through this sermon series, we've talked about being chained to the things of this world. Let's break free of the things of this world. Let's be set free so that we can do the work of the Lord. Let's, let's stand together. I'm going to lead us this morning in a time of prayer. If you're here this morning and, and you just um, still feel yourself chained to something and you need someone to pray with you, I would love to pray with you this morning. You may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to come to faith in Christ, to repent of your sins, and turn to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time of worship. Thank you for our time of study. Thank you for our time, Lord Jesus, where we can just fix our eyes upon you. Father, I pray this morning that if there's someone in this room, Lord Jesus, that still is chained to something, that today will be the day that they break free from it. They may be chained to a particular sin habit that they just have not been able to break free from. Father, they may still be chained to resentment or to a particular stronghold. Help them this morning break free from that. Father, I just pray this morning, Lord Jesus, again, that you will just help us, Lord Jesus, to learn to be content in all circumstances. Help us to learn that you are more than enough. We don't need this, the things of this world to make us happy because we have everything we need in you. So help us find what we need in your word, through our relationship with you, and through the work that we do as we seek to advance the gospel. We love you and we thank you for some Jesus' name we pray. Amen.